Jason, as it is each and every week, the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. Budget Blinds! Hey, did you know Signature Series automated shades provide a safer environment for children and pets? Did you know it? I did know that. And I will say, it's like all hail our robot shade nanny overlords. Ooh. They will they're here to take care <laughs> the robots of our had children an and pets. They are here to take care of our children and pets. As well as make for maximum use for heating and cooling energy efficiency. So you can minimize the amount of time you need to run those systems, which uh, lowers your energy bill. And it's you know, it's a nice little hug for the planet while we're at it. So if you are ready to make some upgrades in your home, go see our friends at Budget Blinds Release Summit. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. All hail. Hello again, and welcome to Lee's Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I'm Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who should really know better. But I don't. It's Nick Parker, I the publisher of Link to Lee's Summit. You should. I'm not even sure what you're talking about, but I know. You're a man of a certain I age. I don't know better. You should know better. Yeah. And uh, evidence, evidence is clear that neither of us do. There we go. Link to Lease Summit is the source for all the news you need about this very fine city. And our unofficial sponsor today, relatedly, is Wisdom. I hope one day we get it, but I'm never going to grow up to get it first. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. So, all right. So, that was it. And, and uh, guys, I'm going to be clear. That wasn't related to anything. I just There were just words I decided to say. Hey, uh, speaking of, of, of lessons and maybe le- learning lessons, or maybe that I haven't, I, I'm going to make a little little public service announcement that for the first time on Linkedly Summit and on this podcast, Jason, our listeners might be hearing some messages from candidates. Oh, I you, have. How I have, dare you let politics come into this I, very political podcast? I have never made space available for political advertising before. However, I've been asked every year to do it. And so I thought, yeah, we'll give it a try. We'll see. Here's the thing. None of those, none of those advertisements will be endorsements from me. They will just be messages from the candidates. They're not going to be endorsements for me either. Really, as I see them, they're just an effort to get me more tacos. Well, that's always really... I mean, if, if you were to write down a goal of this show... More tacos. More tacos. More tacos. So that was it. So we, have, we you will be hearing some some spots. Neither Nick or I will be doing reads on them. They'll be they'll be in and out uh, potentially between here and the election. Uh, but And they, they do not count as endorsements uh, unless... You know, I say it is, at which point it is, but it yeah, probably but won't be. Yeah, but then I have to tell you to leave the show, and that's just yeah. a lot of effort. I don't like confrontation, all that kind of stuff. Hey, yeah. I want to start off today's show. I want to talk about some candidates, but not candidates that people get to elect. I want to talk a little bit about the four candidates, the finalists for the open superintendent of schools position in Lee Summit. Jason, a, a couple weeks ago, the four finalists were announced, and during this week... It's speed dating. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really not a bad way to describe I mean, it. It's like the slowest speed dating ever. But like, so this week the candidates um, are coming in one at a time, one day each day this week, uh, and they'll be meeting with, doing interviews with com- uh, a group of community leaders. I guess we'll call that, them sixteen of them. Sixteen that, of them on that group. They'll be having dinner. They and their spouse will be having dinner with the board, and they'll end their day with uh, an interview with the board of education themselves. So that's a big uh, that's a big old work week for both the, the the interview committees as well as the board of education. Um, that there, but I want I want to actually put the onus on you because, <sighs> like 
Striving me for tacos. Work. It's also about me not doing a lot of work. Fair. So, look, if people want to learn about these candidates, can you give us a little bit of information? Obviously, we weren't invited to do the interviews. Which is a major mistake. <laughs> right. Or or a really, really, really solid move. Probably both. Um, what can you tell us, Jason? You've done a little bit of research. What can you tell us about these candidates? And then, you know, hey, maybe I want to go learn for myself. Where can I go? All right. Well, I mean, the first – here, let me give you uh, Jason's Google secrets, right? The first places <laughs> I went – yeah. For, the, for those who don't know Google. Yeah. Hold, there's this website. It's called Google. And it gets – all right. So, first place I went is since they all currently hold positions – in the uh, in various school districts, I believe they're all at least an interim superintendent, if not a uh, permanent superintendent for a different school district. I went to the school district pages. I was personally interested in just kind of get a feel for what do those people's current jobs and their job histories look like, and how might that prepare them or arguably not prepare them for the uh, for the job that they're interviewing for. And I think specifically one of the things that you and I were looking at because the equity discussion has overshadowed everything for the last year or so. I think we specifically wanted to look through that lens to see if that would fit in with, with the plan that the district has. Right. And so and so one of the things we looked at, and I know when I when I first saw the list, the, one of the names that jumped out of me was not the name of the superintendent per se, but the Riverview Gardens School District. I knew that that was one of those old first ring suburbs of St. Louis area. Um, so I went and looked at there. Well, that's the school district that contains Ferguson, Missouri. Um, of, which, which might ring familiar. Which should ring familiar to, to most of us at this point. And, and that tells us a little bit about some of the, uh, the demographics, the socioeconomic uh, spread of the students there and the work that they're doing there um, through a sort of an indirect connection. I've, I've heard uh, that Dr. Spurgeon in this case has done some, they've had some good results. I don't know how much we're going to credit Dr. Spurgeon for, but they've had some good results on improving student achievement in recent years and, and things of that nature. So that's a district that is all of, and I'll say this, all of these, all of the three non-internal candidates uh, are coming from much, much smaller school districts than their, uh, you know, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 students, you know, and keep in mind the R7 school district is bordering up on 20,000 students. Right, so just, just under that 20,000 mark. Big, we have a big, big, big school district, and these are all much smaller as a whole. So uh, Dr. Spurgeon we talked about comes from that first old ring suburb, uh, district with a lot of, of kids of color, kids who are economically struggling, have those disadvantages and that sort of thing. And obviously, he might bring some of that work in as to how to impact the students that have those experiences in ways that we can deal with it. So that's one way that that, that might be out there. Dr. David Buck, uh, who comes from the Wright City School District, and that's about 45 minutes west of St. Louis. Um, it's a tiny district. There's 1,500 students in the entire K through 12 system there. Uh, he has been in that district in a lot of the smaller schools for a long time. I looked at the, you know, some of their data. They're really. It's actually kind of interesting. Their numbers are very, very close in terms of demographic data. All the kinds of like, you know, dropout rate and percentage of kids on free and reduced and all those sorts of things. Sort of exactly on median with the state of Missouri. So maybe not the the um, 
numbers-wise, real similar, but but demographically and maybe even economically, very I, similar? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, there. I think it's probably as economically probably a little bit closer. It's a farther out. It'd be closer to in, like, sort of in scope where Harrisonville is in terms of its relationship to the sit, the big city right, nearby. Right. Um, it's in that very first stage that that area is in that very first kind stage of that of, first ring of a suburb. Well, or coming turning from a rural community right. into a, what we what we would guess call an exurban community, right? That first sort of transition. They are starting that transition now. And so um, without any guess, you know, my guess is if he's doing his job well over there, uh, Dr. Buck is making preparations for the oncoming influx of people uh, that are going to come into there and how is that going to affect their buildings and things of that nature. So that's that one. Uh, Dr. Jamie Jo Thompson, the superintendent from Norfolk School District in Nebraska, which is 120 miles northwest of Omaha, uh, 75 miles west southwest of Sioux City, Iowa. So it's let me be honest. It's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, I, I've actually been there. Uh, but that, see, and, and you didn't uh, improve it. Uh, <laughs> well, of course not. You didn't make Norfolk better. But anyway, she's been in this job a long time, uh, has a lot of experience in that. One of the things I found interesting about them, I pulled up their um, district. It In a lot of places in these rural or more rural parts of the Midwest, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, some places, there's a lot has been a lot of uh, immigration. Uh, of uh, Spanish-speaking people. Uh, so 25, 26% of this district in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, is of Latin descent. Uh, all of the documents on their website, um, you know, their their plans, comprehensive plans and their reports are done in English and in Spanish. So they obviously are dealing with those sorts of issues and, and trying to reach out to their community in that way. So, you know, whatever pieces come from that influx and Twenty six percent Latin. You know, the Lee Summit School District is about twenty five percent non white, so it's not a far uh, demographic mix away, and and we can see some of that. And so, some of the questions I would anticipate asking if I were on the interview committee is how has that informed you as to what we're trying to accomplish here with the equity plan and that. And that's how I looked at these when I was taking in there. I don't. It didn't get enough information, frankly, to form a really strong opinion on who these superintendents are as candidates. Um, but you can do that. So, you know, simple places to go look, go look at the school district sites. Uh, LinkedIn is handy, at least for a couple of them have LinkedIn site. Uh, I have, we have neglected to mention Dr. Emily Miller, who is the interim superintendent. She's the one I could actually find the least information on as a whole. Uh, she doesn't have a LinkedIn site, for instance, or at least that I could find. Um, I would never say that my Google, my Google foo is so strong to be, uh, def, you know, undefeatable. But, uh, and, and, uh, but I think in many ways, the work she's done over the last, especially over the last several months, you know, is the easiest for our local, our local populace to analyze and, and take a look at because she's done it right in front of us on, on YouTube that we can go look at those meetings and talk about what she's done and what she hasn't done. Well, and I, and I would say, I think the thing is here is, is, is learn what you can. And then if you have questions, if there are specific things on my, on your mind, shoot a note to your, to your school board representative during this week while they're doing the interviews and, and see if, see if they can answer those questions for you. And I, I, we are all going to look forward to what the announcement will be. They, they said they're going to try to do that at the end of this end of this month. And, and the district has made a point to be more transparent throughout this entire process. So I'm sure we will hear what some of those questions were and why they chose 
who they did when they make that announcement. I think, yeah, I would I would be surprised if we didn't hear a little bit more about that. But they're also going to, you know, once again, within any kind of a job search, there's going to be a limit to the things you're going right. to say about the candidates, especially the candidates who did not get the job as we go. So we may find out more about what it was about whichever of these four candidates they choose to hire or they can get agreed to hire um, more so than we're going to hear about why they didn't choose any of the others. Well, that kind of wraps up a good little talk, Jason, about who the future superintendent might be. I'm afraid we have to talk a little bit now about the former superintendent. has absolutely nothing to do with the school district this time around. But Dr. Dennis Carpenter is in the news again, Jason. He has filed a lawsuit. It was filed on December 18th, a, a lawsuit against Rick McDowell and the Lee Summit Economic Development Council. Specifically, the suit alleges that the LSEDC interfered with a job opportunity that he had where he was under contract to be a keynote speaker at an equity and diversity event at Unity Village. Correct. So essentially what the suit says, I mean, you, you gave the basic factual piece is that it's a it's against the rules or against the law um, or considered in, in legal terms a tort I was going to ask if you can give us the big legal words. I kind of left that open for tort you. Tort is the that word. That was like a little setup. Right. Where essentially what you cannot do is step in and interfere in the, I guess we'll call it the business expectancy of someone else. So, and this is not, I mean, this is not the most common of lawsuit things. There's uh, actually, uh, to, to put it out there, our, our, our regular guest columnist on Link to Lee Summit, John Bedoin, filed a similar lawsuit against a couple of uh, city council members in the city of Lee Summit a number of years ago for interference in, uh, in, for these same counts. Um, so it's not something we see on a regular basis, but it is something that comes about there. And I think in this particular, the, the key part here is, for me anyway, more so than the fifteen hundred dollars that Dr. Carpenter claims that he was denied. Yeah, I think that was the that was the biggest thing when I read through, and you can you can find the the petition on on the Link to Lee Summit website, so you can you can look there and read it. But the thing that stuck out to me was this is over fifteen hundred bucks, right? And it's really, I mean, this is one of those times where it really may be more about the principle of the thing and and the issue at hand here. And I think that the more the thing that we want to watch for, the thing we want to um, to see is. If the allegations prove out to be actionable um, in this case, it's essentially an, an indication that uh, Rick McDowell used the power of the Economic Development Corporation to shut off contact, you know, wielded the power, sort of semi-public power, quasi-public power, to cut off the business operations of someone who you know, for whatever reasons he decided he didn't like to have that particular, you know, particular position. So that's the, that's the question to me. That's more of the interesting question at hand is rather than, you know, then it'd be Dennis Carpenter um, specifically. It's, you know, is this the kind of thing that we, we don't, obviously this is the kind of thing we don't want to have happen if it proves to be the alleged actions prove out to it to be winnable in a court of law. Okay, you you just said that the thing you're paying attention to more is the the subject matter and 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 really we should watch to see if this was a thing that actually happened because that does mean something more. However, I think I think we we have to also acknowledge Jason that one of the reasons people are paying attention is because it involves the former superintendent who just came to an agreement to resign from the district. It happened after a very public and very awkward several months where we were talking about race and we were talking about equity. So 
we're going to pay attention to it because of who it is, too. Don't we have to acknowledge that? Well, I think, it. yes. I mean, absolutely we have to do. And I think that the subject matter at hand, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, which was the subject matter of the conversation, and it is, and it is the subject matter of Dr. Carpenter's consulting business. That a- he has, and the speech that he had been asked to give. Right. And the speech that he had been asked to give um, is that subject matter is – are we then you know, editorializing or pushing pressure on we can only hear about this message from certain people and in certain spaces and in certain ways? And that's a question that would be out there. You know, I mean, look, there's nothing in any of this. There's no accusation from Dennis Carpenter's camp that any of this was racially motivated. They think it was more personally motivated, or at least that's been, you know, the news article seemed to indicate that he thought it was a personal vendetta. Um, and, and any of that. But once again, as if we have, as we have touched on through various stories, it doesn't look good in the public eye when a, a person of some significance in the city of Lee Summit, and there's once again, this quasi public, uh, position, you know, targets a black man to not be able to speak on the subject matter just on its own without any other facts in hand that doesn't look great just just as if when the last just when as when the last person of color left the district's administration uh and those sorts of things even if they are completely without you know actual bias they end up looking very bad given the context that we have lived through for the last couple of years and so that's a that's another piece in that sort of thing so because Dennis Carpenter comes with a certain amount of baggage. I mean, the the people at Unity Village didn't, or the Unity folks didn't pick him out of a hat. You know that he was right. a person they wanted to have speak, and but and and if these allegations prove to be correct, you know these are this is a person that other people very much did not want to have speak. I really think that's probably all we need to say on it. I th- you know we talked about this a little bit in our in our look ahead episode. Last week, as we looked at some of the stories we'll be following, so so we'll we'll follow this along. We'll see. And you mentioned on that previous episode, Jason, that this is something that could probably take a while before we we see any kind of resolution. But it's something that we'll we'll keep our eye on. And and like we just said, it's going to force a a conversation in our community. I think to to stay near the forefront. Probably so. Although I would say my the odds are strongly in favor of eventually there being a quiet settlement with some non disclosure agreements that go along with it. And we may never hear anything about it at all other than it has resolved. There we go. Okay, Jason. Break out the music. It's time. It's time. For as the council turns. And actually, it's going to be a little weird because your crazy uh, schedule is forcing us to record a little bit early today before the council meeting actually starts on Tuesday night. But there's a couple things we wanted to bring up. One the council will be reviewing an ordinance to put a new tax, a use tax, on the ballot for April 2020. And your favorite thing, this is what gets you excited, we're going to talk a little bit about an incentive policy. There we go. Let's start with the use tax. I think this gets a little confusing for some people, but essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong here, essentially this is a tax for internet shopping. That's basically the gist of the the, the matter is over the last- Someone you know, at City Hall is, really wants to correct me now and fill in all the details. Right, which, you know, if you want to hear all the details, you can- Watch council or go back, you know, go back and review it. If you, by the time you're listening to this, essentially, 
the city has all cities, all jurisdictions has long have lost a lot of revenue over the last 15 years or so due to the shift of sales from our more traditional in-person brick and mortar stores to internet sales. And we're not collecting taxes on many of those sales. Uh, a few years ago, there was kind of a uniform thing where the states came in and they, they imposed some taxes on those. So like if you go and you order something from Amazon today uh, and you have it delivered here to Missouri, you're going to pay a 4% or something like that sales tax from the state. Essentially, what we're adding here, um, the council is putting on the ballot an opportunity for us to get those taxable sales from the inter- from internet sales as well. There's an exemption in it. So if you're just a very small, if you're a very small seller or buyer of internet stuff under $2,000 a year, you don't have to deal with it. But if you are a, an internet retailer, you're going to be uh, paying some, some local use taxes to go along with that. The, the short version of the, the thing is it's setting that tax rate at the same rate as the local sales tax, 2.25%. And it basically pegs it to always match. So if, if for whatever reason the local sales tax ever goes up or down, the use tax will go along. We'll with follow it. along with it. And I think I think the bigger thing that you, we will dig into a little more as if if this passes through the council and, and gets placed on the ballot in April, what we'll talk about, Jason, is I think that this is a piece of the puzzle. This they've talked about this at City Hall before. That this is a piece of a base of trying to bridge a, a budget gap. So we'll dig into that a little more into into the things that people should be consider as it goes toward the ballot time. Absolutely. And so and to be clear, this would go on the April ballot. I know this last week it wasn't it wasn't clear from our podcast whether that would go on the April ballot or on a different ballot. But this one, it, it very clear in the ordinance. If it's passed and it gets submitted, it's going to go on that April seventh ballot uh, for you to vote on. So uh, check check linkedleysummit.com. After that, we'll have we will have have the story posted of of how that went through and what the vote was from the council. Okay, the last thing, Jason, I want to talk about. Let's get to the policy stuff. We talked in our episodes looking ahead to 2020. One of the things we talked about was candidates for city council and maybe understanding of policy incentives and how that worked with economic growth in the city. So here we go. Here is a new policy a new incentive policy that's going to be added to the economic development plan. Right. And so essentially, I mean, so the land clearance for redevelopment act, uh, it, which, you know, nobody or authority, sorry, land clearance for redevelopment authority is essentially a piece of state law that allows municipalities to declare an area uh, or areas in their city blighted, which is a statutory defined term. And then that allows them to give tax incentives, abatements specifically to allow, for to um, to limit the essentially increase in appraised value um, on that to to ease the the burden on a landowner to redevelop that piece of land without having to take the full brunt of the the taxes that that's been used several times um, in Lee Summit. Uh, just a couple of bigger examples are the the Stanley's Aspen Room building was built using LCRA money. Uh, the bridge space redevelopment, where we stand right now, um, had LCRA money in there as well. So this is something downtown is one. Some of the 291 corridor there, I think maybe one or two other spots in the city that have that. Um, but that's out there. There wasn't, however, I think the city crafted their economic development incentive policy, and there wasn't really a very fully fledged or fleshed out uh, piece of that for the LCRA. 
All we're doing is this policy was created. It's going to go into, it's going to be adopted and then inserted into the broader le- the economic development incentive policy and will be, a, I think, a good tool for the, uh, for the LCRA board as well as the city council to review when these incentives come in asking for LCRA as one of their incentive pieces. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that and some of the other uh, economic development incentive pieces as we, as we dig into getting ready for the election and talking to the candidates and, and how they may see the, the future growth of our city. So we'll, we'll dig into those as we go. That's going to wrap up our episode for this week. We will talk to everybody on Friday. You have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall, a link to Lee Summit podcast with hosts Nick Parker and Jason Norberry. A proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can subscribe to this podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps and catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook at Link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall. Mm-hmm.